Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. First Kings 18, from verse 40 to 46. When I'm done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. Please, let's respond by saying thanks be to God. First Kings 18, 40 to 46. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go, eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink. But Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, heat up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain started falling and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Auntie Domo. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see your beautiful masked faces this morning. Um, Particular welcome to you if you are just joining us so you haven't been to City Church in a while. Um, We're happy to have you, um, and I'm happy to have you. My name is Emmanuel. And so the last few weeks we've been going through the book, we've been going through the life of um, Elijah and just seeing how Elijah is this man of God through whom God has been doing great things. Um, and as I, you know, just thinking about his life, he reminded me of a Nigerian slang. If you don't know anything about Nigerian slangs, they are very creative and, you know, you just wonder where, how did it even come about? Um, so think of everything stew. What exactly does everything stew mean? Like, it just means everything is stew. That's what it means. Um, but it's nice. We use it from time to time. Um, think about OPG. Um, OPG, OP, OPK. Abi, o, whatever. Yeah, KPK, yes. OPG, Okpogon. Um, it means this person, this person the fuses is a lot. But there's particularly one that I've been reflecting on as I've thought about Elijah's life. It's called Small Girl, Big God. Small Girl, Big God. How many of us have heard about it before? It means nothing except Small Girl, Big God. It means that this person, so it's usually used for um, maybe someone who is dating older men, somebody who you know, has accomplished a lot of stuff, and it just seems like, how has this person achieved all of these things? You say, no, I'm a small girl, but I have a big God. That kind of thing. <laughs> but I think that actually underscores what's special about Elijah. Because when you look at Elijah's life, there's nothing in and of himself, there's nothing special about him. He's from a place called Tishbe. Like, that's the only time he's mentioned in the Bible. There's nothing special about that place. And yet, through this small guy, supposedly small guy, who has a big God, great things are happening. And I think that as we look at this passage this morning, that is what Elijah wants us to see, that you and I may be small, but we serve a big God who can do big things. We serve a big God who can bring about the fire of revival, but also send the rain of the Spirit. Because you see, Elijah's life shows us that we need to know what we cannot do. But we also need to know what God can do. 
Elijah is someone who is ultimately dependent on God. And you see this as we've seen this morning, but all through his life, as we've seen the last three, four, five weeks, that Elijah is someone who is constantly calling upon God. And friends, if we are going to see the reign of the Spirit fall upon our lives, fall upon our church, fall upon our society, we have to be small guys with a big God. We have to be people who recognize that in and of ourselves we are nothing except God moves and God comes. And so this morning we'll be considering this sermon titled, The Reign of the Spirit. And this passage shows us two ingredients for seeing the reign of the Spirit. One, we prepare for rain. But secondly, we have to receive rain. So preparing for rain and secondly, receiving rain. Let's pray. Lord, our sister Moni prayed this morning that we want to see transformed lives. But we want to ultimately see Christ magnified. Lord, and we thank you because those two things are not at odds with each other, our transformation and your glory. So we ask that you do that this morning. Cause us, Lord, to see you clearly, to see you gloriously, to see you with the radiance that you have. But, Lord, also that we live changed, we live transformed, we live edified, we live, Lord, with you being magnified as the one that is worthy of all glory. So please help us this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the first one, preparing for rain. Let's look at verse 1 again. Of, Isaiah, um, of 1 Kings 18. It says, After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. And you see, we come to this passage this morning, starting from verse 40, and we see that Elijah wasn't just content to have fire fall. That's what happened last week, as Tommy showed us. Elijah wasn't just content to see the fire of God fall upon the sacrifice. He wanted to see the rain of God fall as well. And you see, friends, if we are going to see the rain of God fall, we have to be people who are not content with what we have experienced of God. I just think about Elijah. Like, he's just had this magnificent display on Mount Carmel. The fire of God has fallen. Like, he prayed and God answered him. Elijah could have decided... Okay, this is time to, like everybody, everybody knows now. Everybody knows God is real. This is time to kind of settle. This is time to, you know, try to um, um, get a family. This is time to lobby to be PSG, prophets to the federal government of Israel. Elijah doesn't do that. Elijah decides that he wants to see the reign of God fall just as God has promised. Can I suggest to us, friends, that part of the reasons why we don't see the reign of God for is because we settle too easily. Too often we are just content, like I've experienced this magnificent thing, I've seen the fire of God fall, I've seen God visit me, I've seen God do great and mighty things, like I want him to. Yeah, let's move on to other things. But Elijah is showing us that if we want to see the reign of God fall, because Elijah recognizes that the fire of God without the reign of God is nothing. The fire of God that just, oh, people just see, you know, that this God is great and they kind of move on to their next stuff is nothing. We want to see the reign of God for Elijah was like, God, you have to do this. He wasn't content with what he had experienced. If we are going to see the reign of God for in our lives, in our church, in our city, in our society, we have to be people who press on for more of God. But you see, before the rain can fall, Elijah shows us that two things must happen as we prepare for rain. First, we need to pull up the weeds. But secondly, we must put in the seeds. We need to pull up the weeds and put in the seeds. Let's say that together. Pull up the weeds and put in the seeds. Look at verse 40 as we consider pull up the weeds. Elijah says, the passage says, Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. And they seized them. And Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. And in our 21st century, Lagosian refined minds were like, This guy is such a bloodthirsty prophet. He can't even be magnanimous in victory. After all, the fire has fallen. What else does he want? Why can't he just allow them to go? But you see, Two things at least need to be said about that. First of all, in the Old Testament, 
God had said that anybody, any prophet who led his people away, and, and you know, maybe even did a miracle, but yet led his people away and said they should worship other gods, God had said that the person should be killed. And so Elijah was simply following the constitution of the land. Elijah was so word-saturated that he was willing to do what God wanted him to do regardless of who liked it or not. But you see, secondly, friends, the action of Elijah shows us the horror of idolatry. I won't talk too much about that because we considered that extensively last week. But we see ultimately our idolatry leads to our death. And that's what Elijah's life is showing us here. Just think about it that the people that some of the people that you know, maybe somebody who is giving over to alcohol, somebody who is giving over to drugs, and you can slowly see their lives wasting away as they go through each day because of their idolatry, because of the things that held them captive. Some of you know families where a father who wasn't faithful to his wife or a father who wasn't there present for his kids, as you see, his family slowly dies. Everything evades before their eyes. And so if you want to see the reign of God fall, we have to be ruthless about the idolatry in our lives. We have to be ruthless enough to follow God regardless of what people around us think. Too many of us are bought into, what will people say about me? What will people say if I do this? What would people say if I obey this? And so we kind of cower in the corner. We, 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 we are like people who wear our Jesus badge under our clothes so that nobody can see it. But I know I'm a child of God anyway. But Elijah wasn't going to be someone like that. Elijah was going to follow God regardless of what it cost him. Friends, this also shows us that we have to be ruthless about the idolatry in our society. And can I just say to us in this room, if you are in this room, you have a job, you have clothes on your back, you have food on your table, maybe not even three, maybe even one, you are privileged. And many of us forget that because we are constantly thinking about those who are ahead of us, who have more than we have, and yet we don't think about what God has brought us from and what God has spared us from. There's so much idolatry in our city, in our society, idolatry of progress. I was walking, you, you know someone who was walking in a certain place two, three years ago, and the person has changed job two times after that. But you, you are still in the same place, and I'm wondering, God, when? Must be ruthless about putting to death the idolatry of progress, of status, the idolatry in our society. But as we consider this passage, friends, what is imminent, what is there, rather, is that Elijah is putting to death false prophets and false teaching. And can I suggest to us that one of the ways, one of the weeds that we must pull up if we want to see the reign of God fall upon our lives, fall upon our city, fall upon our society, is putting to death the weeds of false teaching and false prophets in our society. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus preaches on the Sermon on the Mount, verses 15 to 20. He goes on to talk about the characteristics of false prophets. And he says, ultimately, by their fruits you will know them. And what Jesus was saying is that we should be people who are watching out for false teaching. But for some of us are even more accommodating than Jesus. Some of us are just like, eh, but God is moving now. Eh, but miracles are happening. But that's not what the Bible calls us to do. The Bible calls us to be people who identify false teaching and people who oppose false teaching as well. There's a reason why Jesus was gentle towards the sinners in his society, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the people that, the, the people, that people rejected. And yet he was angry, justly so, against false teachers because false teachers ultimately lead people down to their death. They are calling people from other, calling people to other things except God. I'm not asking us to. Some of you are already like, yes. Let me get on IG and start, you know, typing in the comment section of that person that you have in your mind, <laughs> or on Twitter. No, that's not what I'm asking you to do. Because you see here, Elijah was acting within the context of his relationships and his society. 
Can I suggest that the way most of us will do that is by the people that we have relationships with. Telling them, I don't think that's right. I think that's dangerous. I don't think you should be following somebody who calls the name of Jesus and yet is acting in this way. But primarily, friends, the way we oppose false teaching is by prayer. We're asking God to do what only he can do because we are not the ones that can ultimately weed out false prophets and false teaching. Only God can do that. And so we see Elijah here going full on, going against false teaching because God calls us to do that. Amen. You must pull up the weeds if you want the rain to fall. But secondly, Elijah puts in the seeds. He puts in the seeds. And so all through this chapter, we've, we've seen that there has been a comparison between Elijah and Ahab. If you remember, chapter 18 starts with God, like Toki showed us a few weeks ago, God talking to Elijah, go and talk to Ahab. And between those two verses, we see, oh, it's Elijah and Ahab that is being compared. Then we see um, Elijah and Obadiah. Then in verses 17 and 18, we see Elijah and Ahab meeting again, and they have an exchange. Oh, you are the one troubling Israel. Um, Ahab says to Elijah, and Elijah says, no, you are the one troubling Israel. They have that again. And now we come in verses 40, and in, in verse 41, we see another comparison between Elijah and Ahab. But the reason why this happens is that the Bible is trying to show us something about what is really different between these two men. So let's look at it. Verses 41 and 42a. He says, and Elijah said to Ahab, go, eat and drink, for, it, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. And so Ahab went off to eat and drink. Pause and reflect on that. Elijah says, go and eat. There is the sound of a heavy rain. And Ahab says, Ahab does exactly that. He gets up goes to eat. I don't know what kind of house you grew up in, but if you grew up in the average African mother's house, you know that when your mother says certain things, she means everything except that thing that she's just said. So if your mother, if you are, like I did one time, my dad had just done something, I think he had just bought something, and so I go out of our kitchen when, when I was growing up, and then I shout in the neighborhood, hey, come and see what." My dad has done. And my mother says, ah, no, you're not loud enough. Go to NTA. Let them announce for you. You know that she means everything except go to NTA and let them announce for you. And that is what is happening here. You see, because in the previous verses, in case you have forgotten, God actually brought down fire from heaven. Like, even if you use a matchstick to start fire, how, how, how large does that matchstick have to be? The fire was so large enough, it sucked up the water, it sucked up the stones, it destroyed everything. People were slaughtered, we see in verse 40, because of their idolatry. And Ahab doesn't fall on his face and worship God. Ahab doesn't fall on his face and say, God, please forgive me of my sins. Ahab gets up, goes to eat and drink. And I think there's a warning there, friends. Some of us, the reason why we haven't followed Christ or made a decision for Christ is because we are waiting for something miraculous to happen. We are waiting for something out of this world to happen. And then at that point in time, yes, I'll fall on my face and acknowledge God. But what this passage shows us is, no, that's not the reason why you haven't followed Christ. The reason why you haven't followed Christ is because of the hardness of your own heart. It's not because God hasn't done great things. And if we pause and think, friends, God does great things. You are seated here this morning. Who told you you have a right to be here this morning? Can I also suggest that some of us who are into evangelism and stuff, we are also, ah, God, if you just show yourself, just appear, let people see you. The Bible tells us, no, that's not why people haven't turned to Christ. It's because of the hardness of their hearts. But Elijah goes, Ahab goes to eat and drink, but Elijah, on the other hand, goes up to pray. Elijah is sowing the seed, putting in the seed. And you see, verse 42 tells us that 
Elijah goes up to pray where? On Mount Carmel. If you remember, Mount Carmel is the place where God had just visited his people. Mount Carmel is the place where the fire has just fallen. Mount Carmel is the place where this, this huge display has just happened. Elijah doesn't leave that place. He goes back to that place. Why? It's as though Elijah is saying, God, this is the place where you visited us. I will not forget it. Elijah was sowing the seed of remembrance. I think too often in times, too often, friends, the reason why we don't see the rain of the Spirit fall as we want it is because many of us have what I call a new kid on the block mentality. Or in the words of that Tyler Perry movie that some of us have seen, I can do bad all by myself. I'm sufficient. I'm good. God has had no one else before in history except me. I'm starting something in this time that God is going to use to shake the world. And what Elijah shows us is, no, 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 no. That's not the first place God has, has moved. God has moved before in Mount Carmel. And some of us, we, because we now know a little bit of theology, we are just like, no, all those people are wrong. Because now you are aware of some of the deeper nuances of doctrine. Your, your church, in, where you grew up from, no, all of them are going to hell. All of them are wrong. They're all false. Friends, God has moved before. God has moved before City Church. And God will move after City Church ceases to exist. We have to know that. Elijah is saying we must put in the seeds of remembrance. God has worked before. And the God that did it before can do it again. So you see, revival is not primarily pioneering work. It is capitalizing work. We capitalize on what God has done before. And we say, God, if you've done it before, do it again in our day. But you see, the second thing, Elijah putting in the seeds, he goes, in verse 42, he goes not just to Camel, he goes to the top of Mount Camel. I hated geography in secondary school. Like, I was a loser at geography. God eventually delivered me from geography, as he delivered some of us here, as I look at the room. But you don't need to have an A1 in geography to know that you don't, you don't go to the top of a mountain to hold a party. You don't go to the top of a mountain because you want to do something grand. No, no, you go to the top of a mountain because you are trying to isolate yourself from people and things. And what we see Elijah doing here is as though he's making a statement. I would rather be alone with God. Elijah is saying, I will not be distracted by all that is happening around me. I will consecrate myself to God. Friends, we do not see the reign of the Holy Spirit of God because we are too distracted by many things. We are too distracted. We are available for everything. I was reading a report that says the average American picks their phone 262 times a day. I wonder what it will be for us Nigerians. There's Netflix on our phone. We are watching it. There's um, WhatsApp. We are watching it. And all of those apps are constantly trying as much as possible to keep us more within their ecosystem. So WhatsApp, has, WhatsApp came up a few, they didn't have um, WhatsApp statuses a while ago. Now they have statuses and you are constantly, oh, there are 25 contacts that have recently uploaded stuff. Let me quickly check what each one of them has said. We're always available for things. Our houses are always open. You are always speaking calls at any time. You are always available for everything. And you see, when you are available for everything, you are available for nothing. Elijah shows us that if we must experience the reign of the Spirit of God, we must be people who are constantly moving away from distraction and seeking to consecrate ourselves to God. Let me just give us some quick tips, particularly in terms of managing our digital stuff. Some of us should frankly not use digital Bibles. Some of you know. Hmm. <laughs> because we are addicted to our phones. 
And so when you say you are reading your Bible, you know, at whatever time in the morning that you are doing, no, you are, like the alerts just came in. Let me quickly check what that message said. Then you go back to read your Bible. No, it doesn't work. So maybe some of us should use physical Bible. Some of us should turn off more notifications so that you actually don't see anything until a certain period of time. Some of us should activate our do not disturb status on our phone so that your phone, is, your phone cannot receive any alerts between whatever time, 10 a.m. for me in, in the night and 7 a.m. in the morning so that you are not distracted from God. Some of us can put our phones to better use and you can set reminders at different times of the day and just five minutes here I want to pray. Five minutes there I want to focus on God. You see, what you are doing is you are moving away from distractions and you are consecrating yourself to God. That's what Elijah is showing us. We cannot experience the move of God that we want him to do unless we are consecrated to him. Reminds me of a poem from secondary school. It's titled, The World is Too Much With Us. The first two lines says, The world is too much with us, late and soon, getting and spending, we lay waste our powers. And he ends by saying, For this, for everything, we're out of tune. What happens when you are distracted? What happens when you are paying attention to this, paying attention to that? They are tuning into everything, but never, you are never tuned into anything. They are constantly distuned, going through life distuned. And Elijah is showing us, we prepare for rain by planting the seed of remembrance, but also planting the seed of consecration. But Elijah does something else. In verse 42, so he gets up on the mountain and he's praying. But he does something. He bends down to the ground and puts his face between his knees. He bends down to the ground and puts his face between his knees. He bends down to the ground and puts his face between his knees. And he constantly sends his messenger and he says, go and check, and that one comes back, there's nothing. No, 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 go again and check, and he comes back, there's nothing. He goes seven times. If you've been following the story, what Elijah actually does here is a bit weird. Because in chapter 17, when the rain stopped falling, all Elijah had to do was just go there and say, rain out, peace out, and he goes. And you'll have thought, ah, he's, he's kind of said it now. He said it in verse 40, like there's no rain. The rain is going to come back. So like he can do the same thing and he can go. But no, Elijah doesn't do that. Elijah goes to pray. And it's as though Elijah is saying, there is no disconnect between the word of a sovereign God and the prayers of his people. There is no disconnect between the word of a sovereign God and the prayers of his people. Rather, he understands that prayer is the means by which God sometimes exercises his sovereignty. In fact, James in the New Testament will underscore the importance of this when he says in chapter 5, verse 16 to 18, he says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are, like you. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Friends, we are powerless because we are prayerless. You see, prayer was such a vital part of Elijah's life that even when he came in chapter 17, that's what James is telling us. When he said, rain out, peace out, it was because he had prayed it. And now when he's coming back again to say the rain will fall, it is because he's praying it. Prayer was such a part of his life that Elijah was not going to do anything for God or attempt to do anything for God without praying about it first. Tommy was reminding us last week, friends, that part of the reasons why we actually don't see God move in our lives is because we haven't attempted things enough that merit his move in our lives. And you see, we pray, what we do is we're not, we're, not just, we're not just going through the motions and shaking our head and shaking our body. No, rather, prayer is our declaration of dependence. Dependence. 
In prayer, we are saying, God, I need you. God, I'm nothing without you. God, I can accomplish nothing without you. And you see, the bad thing is that sometimes we treat prayer like a 911 hotline to be used only in case of emergency. When we tried everything else, and it's like, no, we can't do this. Okay, please come and help us. But actually, Elijah shows us that prayer is not like an emergency hotline. Prayer is like oxygen. You need it to breathe. Read the story of Elijah. Chapter 17, when he declared it, he had prayed about it. Chapter 17, when he brought back the widow's son to life, he prayed about it. Chapter 18, when he called down fire from heaven, he prayed about it. This wasn't going to be an exception in his life. Now that he's praying for rain, now that he's asking for rain, he's praying about it. Elijah was sowing the seed of prayer. But you see, Elijah did something a little bit crazy. He said he was praying, but then the passage tells us that he bent down to the ground with his face between his legs and he prayed. Nowadays, when we give birth, when we, I say we, because that's how we, we guys like to describe it. Like my wife and I are pregnant now, that kind of thing. But actually, it's the ladies that, that go to the labor room. So nowadays, when ladies give birth, they lie down with their backs on the bed, put their legs on stirrups, those things. They're called stirrups, if you're wondering. And they push. But that hasn't been, that hasn't been universally, almost universally acceptable until the last 150 so years. Before that, and there's even research about it that backs it up that that's probably not the best position for women in labor. And so many cultures before that, women would either push in delivery, standing, which is crazy, right? Standing or like this, pushing. And what Elijah was saying about that, what Elijah was saying about the prayer is, God, I am here in labor. Until you move, I'm not going anywhere. Elijah was not just praying. Elijah was sowing the seed of persevering prayer. God, until you move, I am going nowhere. Until we begin to pray persevering prayers, friends. Until we begin to petition God and say, God, we have no one else but you. Until we begin to treat God like the life source that he is, we will not see the rain of his spirit flow like we want it to flow. Elijah was simply saying with his body what he was doing with his mind. God, move. God, move. God, move. God, move. And he was there. He wasn't going anywhere. Elijah didn't say, uh, Ahab, 20 minutes time, I'll, I'll be back. No, no, there was no time for this one. There was no schedule. There was no alarm for this one, time up. No, no, he was there until God moved. God sent the rain. God sent the rain. And that was what Elijah was doing. And friends, until we begin to pray like that, until we begin to pray like, God, we have no other option apart from you. God, we have no other agenda apart from you moving. We will not see the reign of God fall like we expect it to fall. But you see, some of us are actually praying persevering prayer. Some of you might say, you are praying persevering prayer and have not seen God move. James 4.1 tells us that part of the reasons why we don't see the answers to our prayers is because we are not asking what's on God's heart. We are asking things that, are, that we want to use for our own desires and for our own ends. Notice what Elijah is doing here. Elijah took the word of God. He took the agenda of God and he made it his own. Elijah was praying prayers about the kingdom of God, about the extension of the kingdom of God. Maybe why we are not seeing revival is because we are praying our own prayers. Constantly asking for our own needs. 
constantly asking for our own things. Content enough. As long as everything about me is fine, I'm okay. But God is saying no. The prayers that I ultimately answer are the prayers that are about my own agenda. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. But I think what has many of us in hang-ups is, yeah, but God said it. Like God gave the word. So why did he have to take Elijah seven times before the answer came? The text doesn't tell us. But the passage suggests to us that the reason might be because God was working in Elijah's heart in such a way that Elijah was coming to a deeper realization that this wasn't possible apart from God's move. And so each time that there was a no, Elijah was like, ah, but God, you said this thing. Ah, you, only you can do it. Comes back, the answer is a no. He said, ah, God, we, we, can't, we can't move the clouds. We can't create this thing. God, only you can do it. And he's praying and he's agonizing there and he's laboring and he's traveling until the answer comes. What would happen if we gave ourselves to persevering prayer? In 1930s and 1950s, Tommy told us a little bit about this. In our country, there was an outpouring of God's spirit in revival because people were giving themselves to radical prayer. People would spend hours in churches. People would spend hours in different places just asking God, move, move. Break down the veil of, 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 of darkness on people's eyes. Move, God. And if you knew anything about the church in Nigeria back then, you would know that the established churches, you often found pastors who sometimes were drunk in the pulpit. Pastors who sometimes belonged to secret societies. And on the back of those prayers, of those revivals, God started moving and there was revival coming to churches. What would happen if we gave ourselves to persevering prayer? I don't know what would happen now, but I know God has done it before. Some of us know in the 60s, before the war, during the war and after the war, students, Christians gave themselves to prayer and asking God, bring revival in this nation. Bring revival in this nation. Tear down the blindness that is holding people's eyes. And in 1973, the federal government comes up with NYSC. And all of a sudden, places that were closed before now have Christians going to them, but not just going free of charge, but now being paid by the government to take the gospel there. Revival because of persevering prayer. What would happen if we gave ourselves to persevering prayer for 20, 30, 40 years, 50 years, 100 years? I don't know. But I know that in 1727, a, people, a group of people got together and said, we don't like what this is looking like. We don't like our environment. We don't like our society. Let's give ourselves to prayer. And so 24 men and 24 women came together and they committed to praying one hour every day. Let's just keep praying. God move. God move. God move. And that prayer meeting continued for 100 years. And historians tell us that by 65 years into the prayer meeting, more than 300 missionaries had been sent out. And those missionaries traveled from Moravia or from Germany to places like the U.S. So that by the 1740s, we, the, the, the Great Awakening happened. And so ministries of people like John Wesley, people like Jonathan Edwards, people like George Whitfield came up and they started preaching the gospel because some people gave themselves to prayer. What would happen if we pulled out the weeds and we put in the seeds and we say, God, come. God, come. In City Church, come. In Lagos, come. In Nigeria, come. What would happen? I don't know, but I know that the potential is endless. So Elijah shows us. We must prepare for revival. We must ask God to come because only he can come. We pull out the weeds of false teaching. But if you know anything about farming, you know that you don't just grow a plantation by pulling out weeds. No, no, no. You put in seeds. You put in the seeds of remembrance. You've done it before. David in 1 Samuel 17, as he's about to attack Goliath, he says, no, no, no. The God that helped me with the lion, the God that helped me with the bear, that same God can help me now. We remember what God has done previously. We put in the seeds of consecration. We say, God, only you can help us. Only you are enough for us. We remove every distraction. We pay attention to the word of God and we say, God, come. We put in the seed. 
But we put in the seed of persevering prayer and say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Amen. Amen. But that's not all. The second and last thing we see in this passage is that we must receive rain. We must receive rain. And so we come to verse 44, and Elijah 7 finally comes back with good news. Like, ah, well, Elijah can stop praying now. And so he says in verse 44, The seventh time the servants reported, A cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. Woo! Great news. Elijah gets up, he picks up his stuff, and sends a message to Ahab, who apparently has been around. Because he probably didn't believe the message. He's still around after all the time Elijah has been praying. So like, guy, guy, be running back. Be going back to Jezreel. Go back to the capital city. But again, if you've noticed Elijah's story, there's a little bit of weird things going on in Elijah's story. Because what Elijah's servant comes back with is not rain. It's a cloud. And you're like, no, no, no. But Elijah, I thought we were praying for rain. Why, why are you settling? Why are you settling? We're praying for rain. We're not asking for a cloud. But yet Elijah gets up. Why? Because Elijah did not need to see the rain before he knew that God would bring the rain. All Elijah had to see was the cloud. And it was sufficient for Elijah that the God who had promised the rain would bring about what he had promised. Do you know what faith is, friends? Faith is acting like it is so. Even when it is not so. So that it might be so. Simply because God said so. Hallelujah. It's not from me. It's not from me. <laughs> it's a preacher named Tony Evans. I, I, I love it so much. Faith is acting like it is so. Even when it is not so. So that it might be so. Simply because God said so. It was sufficient for Elijah. God has said it. I'm stepping out in faith. And you see, friends, we recognize faith is not, so oftentimes in Christian life, people are like, ah, you're not, you're not trusting God enough. You're not, your faith is too small. What is that? Jesus said, if your faith is as small as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. The, the size of your faith is not what matters. It is the object of your faith. Who are you trusting in? Who are you believing in? Who are you hoping in? Who are you depending in? This God will bring about what he has said. Because he is trustworthy. So Elijah recognizes the reign of the spirit is not something that can be created. It's not something that can be manipulated. It's not something that can be scheduled. It can only be received. This is the sovereign work of God. We can only prepare for rain, friends. We can only prepare for rain. God sends the rain. It is our job to receive it. What happens when rain falls? The first thing we see in verse 46 is that unusual and usual works of the Holy Spirit begin to be made manifest. You can go on, Elijah. In verse 46, we see that last verse that was read to us. Elijah ran ahead of Ahab's chariot from Carmel to Jezreel. That is madness. If you don't understand, Elijah, um, Ahab wasn't carrying his chariot on his head and walking. Kings had horses that were pulling chariots in those days. And the distance between Carmel to, to Jezreel was, was about 24 to 27 kilometers. That's more than half a marathon. Horses could run as fast as 60 miles per hour. So you can imagine this guy is actually outrunning the horses of the king. Unusual things begin to happen. It begins to happen that not just you take notice, but the world around begins to take notice. And so the Nigerian Daily Standard of 23rd February 1953, when some of these things were happening, like it was news. Somebody has been blind for five years. Somebody has been deaf for this number of years. They started recording it. And it wasn't even just like we hear today, oh, this woman, like, they started giving addresses. This person of so-so-and-so road. This person of so-so-and-so place. Why? Because revival was breaking out. The work of the Holy Spirit was being made manifest. 
when the reign of God comes, another thing that happens is spiritual renewal. Verse 39, we are told that when the fire fell, everybody fell on their face and they were like, the Lord, he is God. Everybody begins to see that, no, this is not some clever preaching going on. This is not some good management going on. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And so someone writing about that revival in the 50s, who would eventually become the first indigenous Nigerian um, general superintendent of the four square denomination. He wrote and he says, by independence 1960, the Lord has started moving in Nigeria. I find, I may find it difficult to place my fingers absolutely on the cause and effect of what gave rise to the revival. But one of the significant things that I could place my finger on that was responsible for the change from this laissez-faire and decay in the church and in the society was the visit of the evangelistic team that came to Lagos. Let me skip. He says, now that meeting meant a lot of things to various people, but I think one of the most significant things about it was that it demonstrated beyond any shadow of doubt that miracles are for today. In the days of Babalola, I heard that there were miracles, but I'd never seen one, and so this was a different thing for me. What I'd been reading about in the Bible, I now saw right before my eyes. That revival blew my mind in several directions, and I believe it also affected other people the way it affected me. If a bomb blasts, the splinters go in different directions. That is the only way I can describe what happened with the visit of the team to Nigeria. But the number of young people who caught the vision as a result of that revival must have been countless. Do you see? When a revival breaks out, there is spiritual renewal. People who don't know Christ come to Christ. But people who already know Christ come to deeper realization of him. Do you see what happened to this man? Unsaved people were saved, but Christians were like, wow, this is God. This is God. Spiritual renewal. It breaks out. And that was what happened in Elijah's time. But not only spiritual renewal, there is social, cultural, and, and political renewal as well. If you know anything about the droughts, you know that the economy went down as well because it was a largely agrarian economy. People couldn't plant crops, people couldn't harvest, and so the economy went down in shambles. Politicians could not think about good policies because they could not eat well, because their children had problems, because there was no good healthcare system, because the doctors themselves were sick. So everything was down in shambles. And now the reign of God comes, and now there's fruitfulness. In fact, by the time we get to chapter 21 of 1 Kings, we see that there is a whole vineyard that has sprouted up, and Ahab wants to take hold of it. Why? Because the reign of God comes. Could it be? Friends, that part of the hardness we are expressing in our country is because there is no reign of the Spirit of God. Because everybody is eloping, everybody is going, we all want to elope, and so there's nobody who is staying to think about what can we do to make things better. But if the reign of the Spirit of God came, not only would it bring people to know Christ, but now we have people seated in good places in government and in their offices who are creating policies so that the revival, the reign of God can be fully felt. There is unusual works of the Holy Spirit. There is spiritual renewal. There is social, cultural, political renewal as well. But we see also in Elijah's life that the word of God then takes priority. In verse 46, what, what happens? Elijah outruns Ahab's chariot and now Elijah becomes the foreigner who is leading the way. The prophetic word of God now becomes the one that is leading the king and directing the king where to go. Part of the reasons why there is so much confusion is because there is no word of God available. And so when the reign of the spirit comes, what happens? The word of God takes priority and the word of God begins to lead. We need the reign of the spirits. But the good news, friends, is that this is not just a reign for Elijah's time. This is a reign for these times as well. Because if you read the Bible, you know that there was one who was better than Elijah. There was one who was different than Elijah. And Matthew 17 tells us that Jesus Christ stood on the Mount of Transfiguration. And Moses appeared beside him. And Elijah appeared beside him. And we're like, oh wow, this is great. These are the people from the Old Testament. But all of a sudden, the two of them disappear. And what happens? There is no one there except Jesus. The Bible is showing us that, no, 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 the ministry of Moses and the ministry of Elijah is nothing compared to the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ himself, who is the true Elijah. 
who is the one who not only prays for rain, who is the one who brings the rain of the Spirit of God? But you're wondering, oh, Jesus is not here. Where is Jesus? Where can I get this rain? The good news is that in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, 319, sorry. Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost, what does he say? In declaring the gospel, he says, repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Times of refreshing, the rain of the Spirit. But how does that come? The good news is in chapter 2, verse 19, he says, no, 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 this rain comes from the Holy Spirit. You see, what happened was that when Jesus ascended, he rose, he became elevated, he became coronated, but now he poured out his Holy Spirit on all those who believe in him. And so now we are not just people who are looking back to good times, but now we can look forward to the rain that the Holy Spirit brings. The rain of the Spirit is coming, friends. The rain of the Spirit is coming and it can happen in our time. It can happen in our time. It can happen in city church. It can happen as we devote ourselves and say, God, come. God, come. We have nothing apart from you. God, come and revive us again. And so I love this hymn. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. We praise thee, O God, for the son of thy love, for Jesus who died and is now gone above. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. Let's say it together. We praise thee, O God, for thy spirit of light who has shown us our Savior and scattered our night. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. We praise thee, O God, for the joy thou hast given to thy saints in communion. This protest of heaven. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. Revive us again. Fill each heart with thy love. May each soul be rekindled with fire from above. Let's rise to our feet. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. Let's begin to ask God for revival. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.